This is the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 117. Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Weekly motivation and language learning tips to help you become fluent in any language. Now, here's your host, Ollie Richards. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Super excited to have you here. And today is the second half, the continuation of my conversation with Steve Kaufman. Now, if you haven't heard the first half, then... Switch this off now and go back to episode 116. It's the last episode and start there because this is the second half. So, you, you know, it makes sense for you to start with the first half, obviously. Today, we get into some stuff on Asian languages. I really picked Steve's brain on how he went about learning and about learning Chinese characters, about reading and writing, all those things. So lots of great stuff. But before we get into that, I'd like to take a second to thank the sponsors of the show, who are italki, as you know. And, you know, there are lots of great things to say about italki. But one of the really cool things is that unlike any regular language course that you sign up to, you have a huge choice of teachers. And so often what I do when I'm starting to take lessons in new languages, I'll take lessons with lots and lots of different teachers. And then I'll settle on one or two who I really, really like. One of the, the many great things that you can do with a service like italki. And if you'd like to get a free lesson, you can go to iwillteachyouanlanguage.com forward slash free lesson. So it's time for the second half of my conversation with Steve. I hope you enjoy it. If you would like to leave a comment or ask us any questions, you can do so at the show notes, which you can find at iwillteachyouanlanguage.com forward slash episode 117. Likewise, if you'd like to watch this whole interview by video, you can as well. I'll put that that as well in the show notes which will be at the same place. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with the second part of my conversation with Steve. So I'd be interested to know from, from your side, like what, the languages that you've learned, from, what's the proportion for you for languages that really factor into your daily life and are things that you've learned very much for a purpose mm-hmm. and those which are more of a, you know, a, an intellectual pursuit or out of interest? And do those mix? I mean, do, do you find that languages that you just dabble in, for example, later on become... A, a key part of your your life how does that dynamic work mm-hmm. well you? i mean the first languages that i learned uh you know french for example i got very interested at university and then subsequently went to france and studied there for three years so it was very much a part of my daily life uh chinese i was working for the canadian government and i was sent to hong kong to learn mandarin chinese it was a full-time job and i followed up that by going to china regularly with canadian business people and so forth late 60s early 70s then I lived in Japan for nine years. So those three languages, which are also my strongest languages, those are languages that I um, needed. You know, I had a practical need for. Uh, but in all of those languages, especially I discovered with the Chinese, my major activity was listening and reading. Like I believe that no matter what else you do to learn a language, speak, attend class, I find that I can't escape from the necessity to do a lot of listening and reading in the language. And uh, when I lived in Japan, I never went to school, uh, to language school, but I just spent a lot of time listening in the car, reading, listening, reading. Now, when I get to the all the other languages, I mean, I, I did business in Sweden. I used my Swedish. I did some business in Germany. But overwhelmingly, it's been more, and, and certainly with the more recent languages, like the Slavic languages and Korean and so forth, it's more out of interest. Like I'm reading books right now on Ukrainian history. I'm listening to audiobooks in Polish. I'm learning about, and my motivation there is, I just want to understand Poland as a country, as a culture, Ukraine, Russia, Korea. 
of course, when I meet, like I, I took the trouble of flying to Toronto to spend a day with a bunch of Ukrainian speakers at the Ukrainian Ukraine Canada yeah. business forum, you know. Uh, so I like to speak to people, but it's not practical with 15 languages. I can't surround myself yeah. with speakers of 15 languages. I also have a, a social life. I have my wife and my, you know, my kids and grandchildren. I, and sometimes I, you just want to kick back and watch a bit of TV as well. Like well, I don't actually watch a lot of TV except for hockey. But, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, I think it's a factor of age too. Like, so, Certainly when I was living in Japan, I was speaking Japanese every day doing business and so forth and so on. But right now, I would say that the bulk of it is more of a enjoying accessing the language, the culture, the history, the country, expanding my horizons. And of course, every opportunity. If I, if I, if I were to hear Ukrainian on the street, God, I'd be all over those people. They would, they would be, you know, victims. <laughs> they wouldn't know what's hit them. They wouldn't know what's hit them. And Korean is the same way and, and Russian or whatever. So obviously you like to use the language, but the emphasis most recently, because it's more practical. Like 70% of my study time is listening. So I listen while cleaning the table and doing the dishes. I listen in the car. I listen while working out. I listen, 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 listen. Then, and then I go and work on, on link, as you know, and I save words and phrases and I kind of mine that text for, for words and phrases. Then I go back and I listen. So that's the bulk of, of, of my experience. I, I simply can't go out every evening here with Ukrainians and Koreans and, and, and Russians and so forth. Sure. You know, I, um, I went to the uh, a gathering in Berlin last month, and right. um, I, this is the third time that I've been. And I decided that I wanted to learn a bit of German because it's always been on my radar, but I've never actually taken the step to do it because I've never had that. I've never had that strong enough reason to to really start. But I decided to spend a month learning German, and so I, I kind of went. I just bought a, a, a textbook and I worked through it. It's all mm -hmm. I did, um, you know, very straightforward. Right. And I, I was, I've got to say, it was the most enjoyable learning experience I've had since I can remember for the simple reason that I was able to read right. without any uh, particular trouble. Mm -hmm. And I was... As opposed to Japanese, for example, you mean? Right, which is where, what I'm getting on to because yeah. I was absolutely bowled over by not only how... how Uh-oh. We're losing it here. Same time. Yeah. Sorry, I, I missed you there. We, got, we had a brief hiccup in our Skype connection. So you're bowled over by... By the fact that the the fact that you can listen and read at the same time, just how much that affects the learning process. Right. I've known this for some time, right. but I've found in the last three languages that I've learned, it's been very difficult to do that. Which are these? So Which are these? these? So these would be Japanese, Cantonese, and Arabic. Okay. Egyptian Arabic, so a dialect okay. of Arabic. Right. Now, um, Japanese to a, le a lesser extent, because you, you you know obviously with the with the hiragana and the katakana, you have a certain access early on. Right. Cantonese is not a written language for the right, most part. Right. Um, Arabic dialects are similarly to Cantonese. You just generally don't write them down. Right. Um, and so I think if I'd stayed in Japan longer and I'd really focused on reading kanji, then I probably would have progressed a little bit further. But in the right. case of Cantonese and Arabic particular, in particular, um, I know some Chinese characters. I don't know anywhere near enough. Right. Um, there is virtually there is no standardized writing system in Arabic dialects. It's all over the place. Right. Even the locals don't know how to write. So I've basically the last two languages I've learned, aside from quite apart, quite aside from being extremely difficult languages, right. I have not been able to read for the most part. And I've right. found this to be absolutely crippling mm -hmm. um, when compared to um, my previous experiences. Right. You know, only if you've got a, huge, a large distance between languages I'm familiar with, but you've got that handicap of not being able to read. Right. So um, so I wanted to ask you about 
your experience with Asian languages and to, uh, well, maybe just your general reflections on what I've just said. Um, Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, the easier it is to read, the better. So, uh, for example, when I read Polish on Link, you know, I, I've got this, I'm reading a, it's, it, again, I was able to find a, an audiobook for which I have the ebook. So I import the ebook into Link and I go through it and I'm saving words and phrases and I can listen to it. And it's in the Latin alphabet. So however much I have read in Russian, and I have read tons in Russian, I have read books, I have read newspaper articles, and I read it without a problem, it's that much easier if it's in your own alphabet. And that's just talking about an alphabet. You know, because the Russian alphabet, the Cyrillic alphabet is an alphabet. It's consistent. It's an alphabet. So Chinese, but you know, I read, I've read so much in Chinese. I'm quite comfortable reading in Chinese. I read Chinese better than I read Japanese. And so, but reading to me, language learning is, as I've said before, is words. And the best way to increase your vocabulary is reading. And the listening is where you take your words and develop patterns in your head so that you can eventually use them. Because you gotta, you gotta hear them, and you gotta hear them again and again and again, and then you be, you, you start to be able to use them. So to me, it's all about listening, listening and reading. And I don't like listening to stuff that I can't read yeah. until I am well enough along in the language that that I don't need it. I'm I'm that way in Russian. Like I can listen to the you know news commentary discussions, whatever audiobooks in Russian. I understand essentially 90 percent of it. But until you're past fifty, I want to read it. So if you, like, for me, so getting back to Asian languages, my first Asian language was Chinese. And I learned whatever it was, three, four thousand characters. And, and my major activity in, in Chinese was listening and reading. And, and I, I learned it very quickly because unlike a lot of the other people who were studying, I spent a lot of time in those days, long before, that was the day of the open reel tape recorder and stuff. So you, there was no online dictionary, so there was no link. So I had to buy every possible book I could find that was a Chinese reader with a glossary. And I just went through every book that I could find, and Chinese literature, Chinese history, Chinese this, Chinese that, with glossary. And there were lots of them. And so big focus on reading. Come to Japan, I learned the hiragana katakana. That's not a big deal. I have a big advantage over other people going at Japanese because I can read the characters, even though they're pronounced differently uh, in Japanese, I don't have to actually go through and learn them all. Now I've already learned them. So yeah, the answer is a lot of people, like if you're living in Egypt and you're talking to people every day, you're going to pick up Egyptian Arabic. But if you're studying in London or in Vancouver, I, I you know, I, I just think it would be very difficult. Like my method of learning is, and that's why we've created Link, is like a focus on listening and reading, build up the vocabulary and and reading is, is just so powerful because I, I often think of it this way. It's, it's in the olden days, they had no writing, like 5,000 years ago. So they had oral. And then we got the first way of recording things was writing. And now we have, you know, MP3 players. But it's all different ways of recording the language so that you can then access the language and start creating the neural networks that you need. So, yeah, to me, if you can't read the language, much, much more difficult to learn. Absolutely. Much, much and I, I, I think, I mean, so given, it seems, it, I think the, the path that you've taken through those Asian languages is, is probably a very good one. And I don't, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it seems, I mean, starting with Chinese, yeah, yeah, if, you, if you're able to get that hard work done out, oh, yeah, you know, out the way at the beginning, yeah. you've cracked the, 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 the nut, haven't you? Um, yeah, I mean, my, 
as a result of these difficulties, what I've ended up doing with these languages is overcompensating on the speaking side yeah. because of the because of the fact that um, the reading has been so challenging. Um, I learn pretty much exclusively through conversations, right? And um, my own, in the case of, I kind of I invent these kind of pseudo ways of, of, of recording words on paper, right? Um, in order to speed up, because the problem is if you. you the other thing about obviously reading and writing is if you can't write quickly, you slow down the whole process so much that, right. that it becomes a huge drain right. on, on, on your on your energy. Right. So in the case of Arabic, at the beginning, I'm kind of writing stuff in a kind of weird transliteration, but it serves the purpose of recording something so you can then go off and memorize it. But I very much kind of overcompensate for the speaking. And um, so in the case of Japanese, I, I speak Japanese fairly often in London. But I do it through arranging to go out for dinner with friends just right. the whole yeah. evening and speak. And there's no there's no bigger pleasure than that. I mean that that's I'm you know, I'm in heaven when I'm doing that. It's right. fantastic. Yeah. But you know, I'm very aware that it's I would not call it an efficient learning method yeah. at all. I mean I was able to get to that stage yeah. thanks to living in Japan. Right. But reverse engineering that, I wouldn't feel confident doing it. Part of the problem too is that uh, I mean I enjoy reading books in the language, learning about the history, blah, blah, blah. And you need a lot of vocabulary for that. That's the problem with, with just speaking. It, it's, it ends up being a much more limited vocabulary. That's all. And it's more difficult to organize. Like I can get in two hours just in terms of being in the car and stuff like that. I'm listening, I'm reading. To try to organize, to go out to dinner with a group of Ukrainians is just much more difficult, much more difficult to organize. But just one thing I was going to say, you know, uh, I agree with you that Chinese then to Japanese and I wish the Koreans used their hanja, you know, their characters. It would make it easier. But I think that that it is, in fact, becoming easier for people to learn multiple languages. And I was just musing today, and I don't want to touch on a sensitive point here, but with Britain out of the European Union, uh, I think it's inevitable that German will become a more important language within the European Union. I mean, already countries in Eastern Europe that trade so heavily with uh, Germany, they're learning German more and more. Uh, undoubtedly English will be less important. I mean, it's still the Scandinavians and, and the, the, that, well, I mean, they can also learn German. I just think German will become more important. Um, I mean, if, if Russia ever becomes a little bit less, uh, call them, aggressive in their approach to world affairs, potentially they could be, uh, in terms of the influence of their language, the Russian language could be quite influential in Europe. Uh, Spanish could... Obviously, in Latin America, it's not so difficult for the Brazilians to learn Spanish. Maybe Spanish could, Spanish, Italian, the Romance languages. We could end up in a situation where instead of everyone having to learn English, where it would be considered normal that people speak three or four languages, including, for example, in Asia, uh, Chinese people have a, a real advantage in learning the Japanese or Korean. Uh, Japanese people have the characters, they can learn Chinese. In other words, that an educated person, whether he be or she be Asian, Latin American, European, whatever, that it's normal to be a, quote, polyglot, in fact, becomes the norm. Not in terms of 15 languages, but in terms of three or four. And so that when you meet with people, some we say, oh, what language shall we use? Well, we can speak a bit of uh, Spanish and we can speak a, speak a bit of Japanese or whatever. I don't know. But that's I, probably I it's, romantic. It's a, you know? it's a fantastic aspiration. I mean, I, I run a monthly a monthly meetup here in London called Polyglot Pub. Mm -hmm. Can't get away from this word polyglot as yeah, much yeah. as I would like to. But, um, you know, in, in those events, you know, we have mostly English people coming down, all of right. whom are polyglots, all of whom speak a bunch of languages. And we, and we sit there and we speak uh, we speak. 
in fairness, we speak mostly in English. It's one right. of those kind of meta things, I think. But right. we're all capable of speaking different languages. My observation on that is that, you know, living in London, which is one of the most multicultural places on, on earth, right. you, you stop your average English person on the street and you say, you ask them to speak in a different language. It's going to be a very short conversation. Yes. You know, now I, I, I obviously this to a certain extent is because we don't have that much need for other languages, right. English being the lingua franca. Um, but it is interesting. It's interesting, and I guess I imagine you find the same thing as well in the U.S. Um, although perhaps you know Spanish being the predominant second language there, I mean there may be a little bit more there. But right. it is it, it always strikes me how much of an upward, an uphill battle it is to try to get native English speakers to learn other languages, and, yeah. and, I, and I wonder with even with the, this amount of uh, multiculturalism around us, I, I wonder you know what it would actually take. For that to happen, but it's it's obviously like a, a fantastic aspiration. Well, I think first of all, um, the situation in Canada is very similar. In Vancouver, unless the person is an Asian origin person, even there, no guarantee. Just because they look Asian, there's no guarantee they're going to speak Chinese or, or any Asian sure. language. Uh, yeah, English on the North American continent is is just the most useful language. Period. Uh, but I was looking more at other parts of the world. So in Europe, uh, every Dutchman, Swede, Spaniard, and Italian, and Pole has to learn English. It may be that they'll be looking at other options like German. If German, if Germany, if Germany, Austria is the dominant economic force. Uh, I, I just think you could start seeing more sort of regional use of other languages. And it may be that uh, even Brits, although I don't see it, I think, if anything, that Britain will be more isolated. So... Maybe there'll be fewer Brits. A lot, personally, I think a lot. Once this stuff blows over, Brits will be traveling to the continent, and the people from the continent will be traveling to Europe. So I don't think there'll be much a difference there. But I do think that the importance of other languages, I, maybe wrong, uh, on you know within the European Union, it could it could uh, increase. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah, and no, that makes perfect sense. I guess that the the question then is, you know, to what extent is the EU part of the global? You know, is it, how? You know, to what extent can we take that that view of the EU, and to what extent is the EU linked to the, the more global picture where English is? I don't know. It certainly is doesn't show many signs of slowing as an English. No, language. but if if Germany is the dominant business language in Europe, and I'm a Japanese manufacturer wanting to ship to Europe or to Germany, and uh, if I am convinced that I can learn German, that's part of the problem. You know, then maybe I'd learn German if it's going to benefit me in my business, and maybe we need to teach languages in a way that. That gets people interested in different languages better than we do now. You know, the, well, the... I, I was, I was, um, I saw a video that you published the other day about the opportunities that um, you've had work-wise as right. a result of language, and I thought that was very, very insightful because um, often one of the the question that comes in is, well, what's the most useful language to learn? You know, or 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 how can I? You know, I I've learned German. How can I get a job with that? Right. But actually, you know, your analysis of that was was a very kind of organic one, and you're saying, well, you know, put yourself in the in positions where opportunities can arise. Right. Language is not being the main driving force exactly. there, yeah. but as a result of those kind of initiatives, you know, you can find yourself um, with lots of different opportunities. I, I've seen that to a certain extent as well when I worked for the British Council, and um, I think it's very, very interesting, and I definitely recommend people to go and, and, and watch that. You know, Ali, I think. You know, we don't want to run out of things to talk about when we meet in Montreal. So I have the feeling we could go on for another couple of hours, but maybe we should uh, cut it off here. And uh, so I want to thank to you very continued. much. 
for this uh, this interesting interview, and I hope this is of interest to, to uh, the people who follow us on on YouTube. I'm sure it will be. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Steve, after so long, and I hope it's the uh, the first of many conversations. Absolutely. Bye for now. Okay. Take it easy. Bye bye. All right. So I hope you enjoyed. That conversation with Steve Kaufman, again, uh, from link.com, L-I-N-G-Q.com, a fantastic website. Um, once again, there are, the, I put the video and the first half of this conversation and everything else in the show notes, which you can find at IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash episode 117. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast over the last few weeks, months, or even years, then I would really appreciate a review on iTunes. These reviews, I read, I read them regularly and they're great because they just, they, it's just great to see what you guys think. You know, I'm kind of, sat here with a microphone recording episodes every week, but I don't get to hear from you. So to read your reviews is fantastic. It also helps other people find the show. And if you'd like to help out by leaving a review, then you can go to iTunes, go to the iTunes store, and then simply search for I Will Teach Your Language. My podcast will pop right up and you can leave a review there. So thank you so much in advance for doing that. It only takes a minute and it means the world to me. So thanks once again for listening and I'll see you back in the next episode of the I Will Teach You a Language podcast.